make it so. Hello, I'm your host, Jim McLean. Welcome to the latest edition of the Bandaflix Movie Review Podcast, once again recorded here at the Odeon Belfast. Now, we're doing something slightly different this week. We're going to be talking about Star Trek, specifically Star Trek, the motion picture, which this year celebrates its 40th anniversary. And I've decided to go to the experts as we discuss this film, and I'm joined now by Neil Stringer and Ian Lawler from USS Caroline, the Star Trek fan club here in Northern Ireland. Uh, hello to you both, gentlemen. Hi, how are you doing? Hello there, good to be here. We're not going to be talking too much about every single Star Trek film. We'll be talking about Star Trek The Motion Picture. So we'll be talking about that and then we'll wrap up this week's show as we talk a little bit about the future of the Star Trek franchise. All due respect, sir, I hope this isn't some kind of Starfleet pep talk. I'm really too busy. I'm taking over the set of seat, Will. You're what? I'm replacing you as captain of the Enterprise. You'll stay on as executive officer temporary grade reduction to commander. You personally are assuming command? Yeah. May I ask why? My experience. Five years out there dealing with unknowns like this. My familiarity with the Enterprise, it's crew. Admiral, this is an almost totally new Enterprise. You don't know her a tenth as well as I do. That's why you're staying aboard. I'm sorry, Will. No, Admiral. I don't think you're sorry. Not one damn bit. I remember when you recommended me for this command. You told me how envious you were and how much you hoped you'd find a way to get a Starship command again. Well, sir. It looks like you found a way. Okay, guys, so that's a clip of Star Trek motion picture. Neil, I'll, I'll start with you. For any listener who hasn't seen the film or maybe isn't familiar with Star Trek motion picture, give them a little bit of setup and then we'll kind of go on to discussing our thoughts on the film. Well, Star Trek motion picture was the reunion. After, the film was 10 years after the show The show had been cancelled and there had been reruns that brought back Star Trek into popularity and became, if those reruns started, became popular and they used, they tried to bring Star Trek back as a television series. At Star Trek Phase 2 is one of the things yeah. I did want to mention as well. Yeah. Phase 2, and it was going to be launched in the new Paramount Network at the time, which later became UPN, um, later down the line did that with Voyager. But at the time they were going to do Phase 2, now they were all going to come back, except Leonard Nimoy was not going to come back at Spock. So they had this TV show planned. The pilot was you know, an, an episode called In Night Image. Mm-hmm. Then Star Wars hit, and then they decided to turn the pilot episode into the Star Trek motion picture and it became this epic film. Probably, I think one of the time, I think at the time it was one of the most expensive films ever made. Second like, most. Second most. Only to Superman 2, which I think was 54 million roughly. Yeah. It was, motion picture was 48 million, I yeah. think roughly. And I think that did take in the cost of Phase 2 as well. I love the movies, I think in, I think in retrospect it is one of the most expensive especially the Star Trek movies, you know, if you take inflation into account. And it was a film that, um, it was kind of a reunion of the cast. Mm. It was bring, it was about the crew coming back to um, solve this mystery that of this threat that's come to Earth to 
um, that threatened to destroy Earth and turned out to be this interesting story about a machine life form looking for its creator. Yeah, I I rewatched as I say, I rewatched this in preparation for the pod. I found myself watching the director's cut, which I know will come to, because whilst it's the 40th anniversary of the, the motion picture, it's technically as well the, the 20th anniversary of the director's cut as well, and we will come back to that. I have to say, from of all the films, I think it's, and I'm going to say this, I'm going to choose my words carefully, gentlemen, because I know you're Star Trek fans. I do like the motion picture, but I do find it the driest of all the, the big screen outings for either the original generation and the next generation it i would almost go so far as to say it's someone who watched roddenberry's original pilot for star trek and took that idea because it's very dry the uniforms look very different i have to admit right at the get-go i do like the motion picture there's some nice ideas and some big ideas you can see the influence of something like 2001 a space odyssey in that film but if you ask me heart and heart, what's the tar- what's the Star Trek film I'm going to say to someone? Look, you know, here's the DVD. Watch this, kids. It's always going to be Wrath of Khan because Wrath of Khan, you get that idea of it's it's kind of a swashbuckling. It's a seafaring adventure, but happens to be set in space. But that's me. Maybe you guys are gonna are win are gonna win me over. So I'll come to you, Ian. Are you a fan of the motion picture? You know, is, where does it rank? For you, within that, the cinema, not so much the TV series and all of Star Trek, but within specifically the big screen item for the original crew, where do you think it ranks for you? Wow. Uh, I was in a kind of a unique position growing up. There was about five films out, mm-hmm. you know, before I seen the motion picture. Okay. So I did not see the motion picture first. Yeah. Because it seemed to be the one in video stores that you couldn't find, <laughs> oddly enough. Watching it for the first time, it felt so different. Yeah. It, it really did. Uh, it wasn't a bad movie, but I think to use an, something that we talk about today, we talk about films being too reliant on special effects. Mm-hmm. To me, the motion picture is too reliant on the spectacle of what you're seeing. The special effects. Could is... you be in any way referring to the fact that we have, is it like 10 minutes of, I'm sorry, gentlemen, the only phrase I can call starship porn when Kirk is shown round the ship and it's from different mm. angles. Are you it was any... le- well, it was less than five minutes, yeah. but it felt like an eternity. Yeah. No, I'm not even talking about that. I'm talking about the sort of feature probe. Mm. You know, there's a lot of the crew just staring at a screen. Mm-hmm. Nah. And I think the movie relies too much on that. And there's not enough sort of, mm. as Leonard Nimoy put it, there's not enough drama to go with it. Mm. Now, the thing is, some of the most beautiful images you'll see in a film and the music that Jerry Goldsmith does for those things is some of the best music I've heard in cinema. But yeah, I do agree that it's a bit slow. I think even Shatner himself, when he saw the first film, remarked that he, I think he went as far as to say that the Star Trek franchise might have been done. And I know he's later then said that, you know, he obviously was proven to be wrong. But I think what he found, and it's something I would agree with, there's, it's a, it's a film that it's very prepared to take its time and be slow and contemplative but the fact that we have this plot and i think it's you'll probably correct me we i know we're talking about it as as viger but i think is it the intruder it's referred to for much of the film it's referred to as intruder this massive kind of spacecraft this being 
that is slowly hurtling towards well not that's the whole point not it's not slowly hurtling towards earth it's going quite fast and there never really seems to be this urgency to get things done even at the start when it's like the ship feels unprepared and and they're kind of saying we i think there's a whole point the whole point with scotty kind of saying she's not quite ready yet captain or admiral um you'll correct me on that because i know the terms with kirk do change throughout the film but it's it's this sense that it's like she's not quite ready but there never seems to be this urgency in the film about you know that things are at stake they're literally planet earth is at stake here but i will counter that by saying the opening of the motion picture with the Klingon vessels, I think it's brilliant. I then maybe you think otherwise, but I think that's a it's a really brilliant opening. And you probably could get me if I'm wrong here, but we have isn't it the actor who plays Sarek is mm-hmm. one of the Klingons? He's, no, it's a, just kind of, he's a Klingon captain, yeah. It's yeah. just a nice little nod to, to the fans, but it's one of the things. It to me, that's when you see a bit of really when you see a bit of urgency. Mm. In and probably there's another sequence with bit the, of shock. Yeah, and we see the sequence, I suppose, with the light invading the, the vessel, the Star I mean, Trek. I mean, I love that visual of the Vizier probe um, hitting the Klingons, and it has this kind of digitizing effect, you know, when it's disintegrating. I think it's a pretty shocking effect, and pretty of its time, but still very um, modern-looking, but very unique. Mm-hmm. As so, you can get the sense of Vizier's digitizing it into its into its record, which you you know you see later in the film. And you know, I also think that's a nice way to brought in the scale of the universe because you've got this budget that you didn't have for the TV show. Mm. So in a way, it starts to open up the the universe of Star Trek in a way, which the later films did as well. So, you know, because you see the Klingon ships, you know, in their own space, you know, outside. And I guess also at the time, it was probably shocking because you saw and you looked at the Klingons. Yeah. Which is history for Pete itself with Discovery lately. Can't be any worse than what they look like in darkness. Oh, blingons. Is that ever someone jokingly called them? Yeah. It's a good opening. It is In the most picture, I do think it's a great opening. It's a great um, epic, you know, set, sets up um, the feature, sets up the scale of its power mm. and how much of a threat it does have by disintegrating three Klingon ships. You also have as well, as you've alluded to, you've got the score by Jerry Goldsmith, which mm-hmm. just sets the mood perfectly. Now, I don't know whether it's, if that was just specifically in the director's cut. But we have, like, at the very start, we have a few moments where we're just staring out into space. And then it kind of goes into the opening credits. And then it goes into this incident with the, the Klingons. It sounds like I'm being really down on it. I, I still There's things I admire about it. There's things I like about it. But it's a very dry piece of cinema. You compare that to Wrath of Khan. Wrath of Khan come, is a very different film. As I say, there's a swashbuckling element of because I mean you see the whole stuff between the Reliant and the Enterprise. As I say, Rafa Khan's the first time I ever saw. I also do think Rafa Khan does succeed at bringing back the dynamics of the of the characters as they were in the original series. You've got Kirk, Spock, McCoy. The triangle is at its strength there. Um, so they're back to doing no, no Spock and McCoy bickering while Kirk's kind of the mm-hmm. in between goes, gentlemen, gentlemen, please. Um, wars. I think I heard someone say that in the motion picture. The three characters are not in a good place. Uh, and I thought that's actually an interesting way to do it. Kirk is an admiral and he doesn't want to be an admiral. He yeah. wants to be in Commanding Enterprise. And as it says in the film, he's kind of using this feature threat mm-hmm. as an excuse to get the Enterprise back. But he's also now on an Enterprise that he doesn't know because it's, compl- it's been completely refitted and redesigned. So he has to have Decker with him to, to show, tell him to keep him in check about how the new Enterprise is working compared to the way he, the, what was in the original show series yeah because you see that within the sequence when isn't it they go I've, I've never quite understood it and they're going into warp 
and uh, going to, and then there's the incident and then it's like Kirk orders him to, to do phasers and it's like no 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 yeah. Decker then says no you have to do I can't remember specifically Torpedoes because they, because, any order and yeah because the phasers have to be channeled through the power and the engines and the engines run into, you know out of, or out of power because yeah. they want to phase um, but, he, but that was something he knew because he knew about the new design Kirk didn't yeah and also the other thing was Spock was had gone through the Colonar and he was it, it didn't work for him mm. because of his contact with feature and McCoy was not happy either. So you know, because he you know because he didn't want to come back to Starfleet, and so they they he'd the been drafted basically. He'd been drafted. So the characters, as, as Burnett was saying on one of his um, no observations, you no know, post geek singularity podcast, and he he pointed out that in the motion picture, they, these guys were not in a happy place, and mm. you know he can tell that you no. Know, so it's it's them coming back, trying to get back. And by the time you get back to Wrath of Khan, you've kind of they've kind of gone back to the place that they were mm. in the original series. So there's that element, and it, you know, of in on in the motion picture because you know, means I mean they're, I mean they are in a very, I mean Kirk is. I mean I do think McCoy has a point. You know when he when he confronts Kirk, about it, it is you who's competing. You know mm. I, I do think Kirk actually is, you know. You, at times you do feel sorry for Decker because he's just he he, he do, um because um Decker is okay I'm okay I'm not I'm no longer captain and I'm forced to be a science officer here you know you know you do feel you do feel sorry for Decker. Do you want me to take out the garbage too while I'm out? So you know so you know it is Kirk trying to you know reclaim where he is best. I mean that's what Spock says to him in number two. Your first best destiny is to be captain. I do love though. I love Bones's beard when he comes back. That oh. is a sexy look. Oh, yeah. it, and medallion around his neck. And yeah, you've got to wonder what that man's been up to. Yeah. And and because one of the things I know the crew were a little hesitant about is it is it like eight or nine years or maybe it's longer since it's, the... two, it's two years between it's two and a half years between the end of the five year mission and the movie. However, it's meant to be it's it's ten years production wise, but yeah. two years two. So they're playing only two years. Because I know, because I know, all of the crew were slightly worried that by aging, so it's kind of it's mm-hmm. a lot of the well, it's, scenes it's quite softly lit for them. So that and mm-hmm. I think kind of Shatner kind of almost starved himself, he, starved he did, himself to he, get himself he'd back. After in. he said he did, if he had realised that when the franchise went on, the aging would become part of the story, mm. which, he wouldn't bloody bothered. Which, but he near enough did. Which is why in the in the, in the Star Trek canon, there's actually a four, there's meant to be like a 15, 14 year gap between the motion picture. And the Rafcon, so the Rafcon has like a longer gap to better showcase the aging process yeah. of the characters. For me, when I think of Star Trek, when I think of the film, because you talk about, I don't actually don't think no, I can't remember in which film you said you saw first in the series in the cinema, because mine would be the Undiscovered Country. That's, that's the first, the one, first, that's first one I went to see. Yeah, I just love it. That's the first one I saw. And I think when I think of the films, I think of those those red uniforms that they wear exactly. And when you think of the TV series, you think of you know the yellow, the blue, uh, the there's red as well. Of course, the the poor old red shirts. But that's why I think motion picture it, the uniforms are then they're different again. And none and, of the actors like them. Yeah, and it's it's a bit like what we think of like in the next generation, the TV series, or the early the, ones. The the change in costume from I think is it series two to series three that yeah. they change. They they change the look mm-hmm. and they change the design of them. We think of like in the motion pictures compared to the TV series. The, the first motion picture, it sits out. You have Kirk in that white and gold. And again, I come back to that point. It, it's as if someone has looked for inspiration, but they've looked at the pilot 
and the pilot of Star Trek is very different from you know when you know when we have Pike in command to when we have Kirk in command. Uh, See, I think that's also when because I think because Gene Roddenberry produced was the producer on the first movie, and he was forced to take the executive consultant role for the for the for the following movies. I think that Gene Roddenberry probably insistently wants to bring it back to the the original pilot. I think you can't forget that Gene. Because of the success of Star Wars, mm-hmm. Gene was adamant that this film would not be compared to Star Wars. Mm-hmm. So Gene, when he, when he was looking at the, the writing and the script, he made it very clear there's not going to be one single fight in this movie. Because he felt that Star Trek was something more than mm-hmm. Star Wars. And he was very adamant this cannot be compared. Yeah, You know, and maybe that was his downfall oh. that he tried to make it too different mm. you know they really put themselves in the box you know and also um, and also i mean don't forget motion picture did go into production without an ending they hadn't actually um mm. uh, so that's what they had you know, the ending was um they had to make sure it was something special that was unique to star trek and i think the ending is something that's unique to star trek william chapter said it, it was his idea for the ending but you know it, it was an ending that he 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 had an idea for an ending but i think he forgot the ending because the part he said he, he, he it's not the one he said he performed it three times and the third yeah. time he was very tired and he never went through or something um did it involve kirk fighting god no way he tried that with number five and also i did look at um the highest grossing films of 1979 motion pictures in the top five mm. so, absolutely so but it, there is a misconception i think there is a misconception mm-hmm. because of all because the actors speak quite negatively about yeah. it and even the people that worked on the production um but you know, the fans really got out and supported it. Mm-hmm. I mean, I was talking to one fan online when I knew I was doing this. And he told me, like, you know, people talk today about going to see Avengers mm-hmm. seven or eight times. This particular guy went and seen the motion picture ten times. And that was back then. Okay. You know, the, the fans really supported it. Mm-hmm. You know? The thing but is- I think they realized quite quickly that, yeah, we've got these sets now. We don't need a huge budget. Yeah, and which, it works which, for two. Which is why, yeah, because the difference with number two was and the sequels was they moved it to the television department to make the films, mm. and uh, and those sets were still in use for next year's on Voyager. Yep, those those sets were still standing. That's why that's why next year's were able to use all that there, and no, we build it into the next generation sets. So mm-hmm. those corridors next generation are repurposed sets from the motion picture onwards, mm. and also the motion picture. I mean, I've noticed as I get older, I find. I appreciate motion picture a lot more as I get older than I did when I was a kid. I mean, Star 2 was the first star I ever saw. So, I mean, the first time I was, you know, saw the motion picture as a kid, I mean, obviously it's a slower film. But as I got older, mm-hmm. I really started to appreciate the motion picture a lot more. And, you know, it's, I just think, you know, if that makes sense to do I that. I think one. it's just the fact that just of the age of all of us here, many of us might have come probably through Star Trek, I could be speaking wrongly here, but maybe Next Generation, then maybe the likes of Star Trek Six yeah. Generations, yeah. then having that back catalogue to go through the back catalogue, not only on the big screen, but the small screen. And I think it's the fact that I come back to that point, that I don't want to sound like I have been down on the, the motion picture. I, I like it. I like the idea behind it. I just think it needs a tougher edit. I just think it needs mm-hmm. to be under the two-hour mark. To kind of, and to give it that, I know that's me repeating that urgency, but I do think out of all of the, the films within particularly the, the original crew, maybe other than you know The Voyage Home, I think it, it's one that sits out just in the fact that there's this, 
it, it's kind of it's very contemplative it's very slow in its execution and because it looks so different and so removed from any of the other films i think that's why i think it it sits out yeah um but I mean, there's things there is things to, as you've kind of said there is when, things to admire about it when me and neil were in vegas actually i mean Leonard Nimoy is particularly no, Hang tough. on, hang on, Ian. Mm-hmm. What what stays in Vegas? What happens in Vegas stays in Vegas. <laughs> well, okay, I can say that. So I mean, that's. But uh, Leonard Nimoy was surprisingly tough on it. You know, very well, he wasn't outspoken a fan. about it. I mean, he said that you know, it's what you what you're getting at the urgency. There was not enough drama, mm-hmm. you know, and it was a movie that relied too much on spectacle mm-hmm. and special effects, you know, and. He said a lot of people might say the concept is very Star Trek. And he says, yes, at its core, it might be. But Star Trek never relied on special effects, really, mm-hmm. to tell its stories. Do you not think, if we're being honest, that the, the, the plot for the motion picture would have been a great like two-parter as a TV? When you're within, within, you're in that confines of it has to be two hours. You've got an hour to tell the first part of the story. An hour to tell the same, oh, or, or maybe even forty-five minutes when you take out adverts and stuff. When you have that time, if you if that was a, a two-parter in phase two, I think people would be kinder to it. I would because I think that was originally meant to be the pilot. Yeah, you know, I think, absolutely. I think, and I think you are drawn out because you had to do all the. I mean, there is a lot of stuff in the space dock before it goes. Um, the um, and I like it. I, I do what I, I love. The music's brilliant. The mu- the I actually, I actually do find the um, transporter scene pretty horrifying. But you know what? I come back to that urgency. It's the reaction of yeah. Kirk and isn't it Kirk and? Oh, I think it's just Kirk. I don't think Scotty's there as well. He's an engineer in the whole film. It's, it's we have Kirk and you kind of see it's like they they try to transport or transform. That's a completely different film. They try to transport them over and then. It kind of goes horribly wrong, so they kind of send them back, and you hear the the conversation. It's like, well, what what we got back only lived for a few seconds, mm. and it's just like, oh, oh, okay. So, and, it, and Shatner's kind of deadpan delivery. Send my thoughts on to the fan. It's it, it never you never get a sense of even that sequence in I've been, of I'm, horror. I'm, of, I'm reading the novelization at the moment because um, I got the new 40th anniversary edition of the novelization and. That scene there talks uh, the the girl who's been the other of post is a, is a lover of Kirk, you know, an ex girlfriend, an ex girlfriend, yeah. or somebody's dating at the time. Yeah. Off, Kirk didn't date. Kirk, uh, it's he's like, he's like the T Rex in Jurassic Park. Kirk wants to eat, he doesn't want to feed. But he, the, sorry, but the Kirk wants does, to hunt, he doesn't want to feed. But the book does talk about how their in their insides were outside, you know, in that scene. So I'm getting the image of it a lot more horrifying than what the, the book. Gene Roddenberry's book on the motion picture it's quite, is. Very strange to say the least. You know, doesn't he talk about pointed breasts at one point? But uh, when he read video layer pro, but then he talks about the Vulcan term for friend also is the same term for lover, and he talk he ca- comments on nah, 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 I wouldn't say no to spoil or something like that. <laughs> it's a very strange read. Oh, gee. Um, it's my first time reading the book, and it's quite um it's, interesting. It's a, yeah, okay. Yeah. Okay, well, I, th- I think we, we've talked quite a bit about the motion picture, so I think with that, we shall move on and discuss the future of the franchise. Oh, it's all right, number one. I came here to find safety, but one is never safe from the past. Please, sir, someone's after me. 
I have an appointment? Your name, please, sir? Picard. P-I-C-A-R-D. It's nice to see you up and around again. We have an obligation to investigate. There is no we, Jean-Luc. Admiral, I am standing up for the Federation, for what it should still represent. This is no longer your house, Jean-Luc. Go home. Okay, guys, so that's a little clip of Picard, which is out here in January on Amazon Prime. We've talked about the past, we've talked about the motion picture, we've tried to talk about as many other films in between as we can without going into specifics, but where are we currently with the Star Trek franchise? It seems to be very much back in vogue. We've had the success of Discovery. I know before I even let Neil get an opportunity, I know Neil has a love-hate relationship with Discovery. Work today. Yeah. Yeah. I'm actually see tonight. I'm actually going to revisit the score from the very beginning and get myself ready for the That means season. I'm gonna have a hell of a couple of weeks coming. He's gonna get even angrier. No, no, no. I'm actually gonna do this with an open mind. Okay. I don't believe you. And I don't think Ian does either. And our listeners well, our listeners don't know you as well as we do, but you know, they can try. Uh we have Picard, which I'm kind of quietly excited the, about. The, the big I think the big point of Picard, not just Patrick Stewart returning. Mm. But I think that it's taken the story forward. Yeah. There's been a lot of prequel, this, this fits in here, that fits in there. But this is going forward. So I think for a lot of fans, that's the exciting bit about it. But it's, without going into spoilers, Ian, mm, is Star Trek Discovery now not technically taking the franchise forward as well? Let's hope, because I think it will solve a number of its mm. problems. I mean, I mean, the problem of, I mean, Discovery, I find, is a show that does have potential and i think it's a good idea to move it away from where it was mm. but i do think they may have tried too hard to please the fans to get to where it is whereas i feel like you're writing yourself out of canon just to get the fans have it. and i feel like if you don't better writing you could have done that like enterprise did and still make it an it's important not- part of uh, make an important part of of the history if that makes sense. I don't even think it's, it's proper right. And I think what they've done is they've panicked. Mm. You know, you have to decide, A, what is this show? And once you decide that, you know, if you do find you've made mistakes with canon, it happens throughout Star Trek. Mm-hmm. Nothing is 100% consistent. And, but I think they, when the fans sort of give their feedback and backlash a bit, I think they tried too hard to fix it. Yeah, And I think that became a bigger problem. I think how they've, I don't want to, I don't really want to spoil Discovery. It's hard because it's it's one story, it's, you know. It's it's hard not to, but I think in their resolution and how they're trying to tie it back in with that this is set, you know, before the events of the original series. It's not set in the Kelvin universe. And the fact that we just don't talk about Discovery. You're not allowed to talk about Discovery. It's too fake club. It's too fake club. Yeah, and... I just think surely that's flawed, but I kind of I, there's in a sense where you maybe go, I admire what you're trying to do. I think it's flawed. I think I agree with you completely. I think it's trying, it's reacting too much to fandom, mm-hmm. and we here at Band of Fricks, we've talked about this that fandom has never been as vocal as it has been before. And I'm gonna choose my words here very carefully because I know you're both Star Trek fans, but I also think there's never been a sense of entitlement by fans in the fact that if something is served up is that is not what we want it we want we want it changed i'm thinking i'm not specifically talking about star trek i'm talking about the likes of 
Star Wars with Last Jedi. We think of the Justice League, the demand for the Snyder Cut, which doesn't exist, people. It's going to be this pipe dream that Zack Snyder will be happy to play up to because the longer it goes on the better it directly and, and the thing seems. about the thing about that and not getting too off topic is you know it it, it it's strange how people criticize the man for batman versus superman <laughs> and man of steel mm-hmm. sure but as soon as he leaves and the film doesn't do well mm-hmm. they suddenly want to see his cut yeah well, I'm not quite sure why they think that's going to be it confuses me because I, I am I so I, much better mm-hmm. but it confuses me because you know they're why do they want something of a direct from a director who they hate it in the first place? Yeah, mm. um, I think I think fan though in fandom now you know you've got all these outlets like we're sitting yeah. on an outlet right here, you know mm-hmm. social media. Mm-hmm. You know the fans you know have always been focal, but when I was growing up, if you want to be focal, you wrote into the Star Trek magazine mm-hmm. or whatever. Or you or, had the cons or at the cons. Yeah, you know. So now I think it's just a case of fans can say what they're thinking. Mm-hmm. a lot quicker a lot faster like, thinking back I know I'm bringing up Star Wars again on a Star Trek podcast I do apologise but there are similarities on the way the fandoms are but you look at Star Wars The Last Jedi the reaction to that the reaction to issues like Rey's heritage that I really applaud Ryan Johnson for doing for Ryan Johnson and say all those things that you were really interested in fans in and you were investing all your time in I'm not interested in that so in that it's Ray's parents, they're nobody's. Snoke, oh, he's going to be the series' new big bad. He's gone. And I applaud him for doing that. There's not, I, I'm not saying Last Jedi is not without its flaws. We were talking about Knives Out a few weeks ago. What Ryan Johnson's really good at is bringing his voice into his films. And I think his voice for Last Jedi never really worked because we have at the very start, that was my issue from the very opening scene in Star Wars where we have Oscar Isaac's character making your mama jokes with uh, uh, Donald Gleeson's character. And to me, that wasn't Star Wars. And I know I know, we've talked about this in the past, Neil, with, with Star Trek, and the fact that things don't feel quintessentially Star Trek. But if, you, if you've if you got a, a trilogy like Star Wars, mm-hmm. you're saying you applaud him for doing that. Yeah. But if a trilogy is basically a story over three movies, mm-hmm. right? So if you just throw out what the first movie done, mm-hmm. that is upsetting the balance the, and it, to the audience it feels. The, I mean, the main problem of the Disney, you're confused. Is you that, as I said, if, 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 the problem with the the Disney sequel trilogy, and I, and I and I think this is where it it feels where the prequels probably had a strength on. Now I'm not praising the prequels; the prequels still suck. But there is a goal, there is an end game. Oh, I would agree. In, I, in I know what you're both saying. I would agree with but you the both. Se- the problem with the sequels is J.J. Ames and Ryan Johnson should have been on the same page. Yeah, well, I mean, they should have had a working relationship. But one left, one came yeah. in. You know, well, it should have been working. Not, not, well, I, mean, I they, think the thing is when you look at it, like we have, isn't that Lawrence Kasdan is in Empire Strikes Back and Return of the Jedi? Mm-hmm. He wrote them both. And I think the the thing is, if you're going to then have a director who's going to come in and change things so drastically, mm-hmm. let him then conclude the trilogy. Don't then bring JJ in. Mm-hmm. JJ, I think, and I think it was JJ and Colin Trevorrow. I think at one point was I think, involved. JJ, I think from what I've heard from what rumor I'm getting is, and uh, the five I'm getting is, JJ has the retcon. What um what um what Wayne Johnson did in the last one. But the things that J- Ryan Johnson did, I can understand. I completely agree with you. And what you're saying, it's the fact that it's not a well thought out trilogy. It's been a Disney have seen Pretty Disney have seen the 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 dollars they can make, and they've done the three films without really sitting down and like a good trilogy should 
we have a start, a middle, and an end. But look, let's not get bogged down in yes. Star Wars because no. that's out in a couple of weeks. And we can discuss it further about that. Yeah. But with Star Trek, back in that idea of of fandom and fandom, kind of discussing how fans reacted to Discovery, I I liked it because it, it was in a way Discovery brought me back in to the Star Trek fold. For me, anyway, as someone who's become you know, accustomed to who when I was younger would have watched The Next Generation, BBC Two, over dinner after school. Six o'clock. Then nice kind days. of Good picked days. up picked up with the, the the films. I never I know you both are bigger fans than me than Deep Space Nine. Deep Space Nine didn't grab me in the way that it probably should. And I really keep intending to go back and revisit them now that they're all up on Netflix. DS9 is a great show. Uh, Voyager had its moments but went a bit wonky but it did have the borg and it, it did have six of nine seven oh, seven nine it did have seven he of is nine going back for Picard, which and let's to. not talk about my love for seven of nine that's a different podcast that's star trek after ours <laughs> but i did find that discovery was a, a great gateway back and that in a sense what i liked about it from a narrative point of view it wasn't so much an ensemble. I think in the second series it's become much more of an ensemble piece. Unfortunately, I still think they do need to bring more of an ensemble because I feel like the problem, my problem with Discovery is they've made Michael Burnham into too much of a superhero. Yeah. And need to, I think they need to tone that down a wee bit. But does every incarnation of Star Trek have to be an ensemble? Hmm. But I say I just think, but I just think they've made the point where they made Michael Burnham. I think in the, in the first series he was very much front and center. It was her narrative, and then her narrative was pushing things forward. In the second series, they did open it out to an extent, but it was still very much about Burnham's family, without going into spoilers. Um, There was things in both series I really liked. I think the resolution of where we're going to go in season three is is an interesting point of view. It's kind of similar-ish, kind of when you think of like what they did with Voyager, of putting it as far as they can possibly go. It's very flawed, but it's an interesting idea. I do, I do, I, there's certain flaws to the thing because I think I need to rewatch again, but I don't think. Well, you've already said you're going to do it. I'm going to rewatch again, but I need to rewatch it. I'm saying, but what I'm saying is, I just don't think um, they needed to do that there because I think they've done is the reason why they need to go into the future was clearly dealt with. So it, it's done the way is, why did they need to go? But I, I applaud them for doing it. They were just, they were just trying to. You know, please the fans but it's uh, it's a thing where you, you you try and please the fans but i think you end up doing the opposite mm-hmm. usually no I, what i mean is i mean i think i mean enterprise everyone's go, you look at my guy so everybody goes why was nx a woman never mentioned what happened to the city before mm-hmm. and you're thinking all right fair enough maybe time has changed because of the temple Court war but the thing is you've added a bit of history that you know to the franchise and you can get enterprise in or you can accept enterprise as the first ship so i think mm-hmm. to Basically, fight club themselves out of it is a bit too much. Do you, do you think much. it was a flaw? Although I will say, I think the whole stuff with Captain Pike is probably some of the strongest part of some Captain oh, Pike Discovery. Captain Pike's been. Do you think the fact that they they do you think with Discovery and I do I know we're it sounds like we're already getting bogged down with Discovery and I do want to open to Picard and there's other things I want to talk about with the future of the franchise. But do you think bringing it back and bringing the Enterprise so prominently? bringing the Enterprise so prominently into the second series of Discovery into the second series of Discovery was a kind of very unsubtle way on trying to get fans who were sceptical back on board? Possibly. Hmm. I I think I mean I know uh, they said from the very start they did have an idea 
of the enterprise mm. at least appearing you know um but i think it was and a lot of fans will tell you you know even the ones that don't like Discovery, they like the Pike element. Mm-hmm. They like the Spock element enough that they, they maybe would like a series mm-hmm. based on the Enterprise with Pike more than maybe Discovery. <laughs> you know, which is strange when when your when your second season the praise it's getting from pretty much the guest stars. Yeah. You know, um, although I I enjoy Discovery for what it is. You know, I think I watch it, but I don't watch it and try and compare it to what's came before. Because I think, um, I I don't think it, it's made for maybe a modern audience, yeah. if that's the right word. You know, I think it's made to get new fans into Star Trek. Mm-hmm. Star Trek's 50-something years old mm-hmm. now. And I think, you know, they're, they're thinking, right, we need to make new fans as well. Yeah. yeah, we want the fans to watch it, of course. But it is, you know, I, uh, I was having a confrontation with, Vic Mignana from Star Trek continues mm-hmm. about it, and he, you know, he's talked to Rod Roddenberry about it, and the belief is it wasn't, it's not, it's not made for fans. That was not the initial. Yeah. It was to bring new people. I think what you're kind of describing is the way Bill Taylor, who's been on this podcast from the Sixth Sense, I know Neil, you know him. I don't know if, oh, yeah, oh no, you would yeah, know, know, you would know Bill. And um, Bill would kind of talk about that with the Star Wars franchise Absolutely. and the fact that yeah. it's it's not Sorry. for me. But Star Wars and Disney are still going to get my money because my daughter, not my daughter, Bill's daughter, yeah, loves. absolutely loves exactly. the new film. So it's like, they're still getting my money. They're getting money because she wants to go see it. I have to go take her. So they're still getting it. And but also, I, I, don't yes, to... I, I would I would like to say I, I do appreciate that, you know, Discovery is hopefully going to do for modern artists what classic and next generation did for us. Mm-hmm. Um, we may not like the all the directions that Sorry, has gone in the last ten years since Abrams and his team has um, come on because it's very mixed. About you know, mm. it's very the, even the Kelvin timeline films are very mixed of in fandom. Well, let's be honest, you know, everyone just doesn't like Into Darkness. Yeah, that's that's the one that's flawed. Well, we have a friend, a friend that that's his favorite Star Trek movie. Well, and you, and you consider this person a friend? Well, this this friend also fought Ghostbusters reboot was better than the original, so. Mm. Uh, um, so. But. But I think the that, other interesting I know thing is... A, I know that this person's a friend, but you need to tell them they're wrong. You know, I've got friends in work who have never watched Star Trek. Always sort of almost laughed at the fact that I was... I'm known now. I work for Belfast City Council. And in some circles, I'm known as uh, Belfast City Council Trekkie. Um, but they would always laugh at me. Mm-hmm. But when Discovery went on Netflix, they watched it. Mm-hmm. And the surprising thing is they enjoyed it. But what I was even more surprised at, because they enjoyed it so much, they went back and tried something like The Next Generation or okay. Deep Space Nine, and they're really enjoying that now. There you go. So I think there is a lot of positives, you know, that <coughs> that the 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 older classic shows mm-hmm. can get a new breath of life and new fandom totally out of um, I mean, also, you know, I do think Discovery can open up the original series as well. Like, um, with Spock and Pike, um, um, I feel like there's we need interest for the original series as well um you know you know especially when they brought back the Telosians series um there is you know hopefully fans will always argue over if it's as well written if it gets the meaning of star trek or if uh this character looks right or if a set looks right Mm. or or whatever but i think you know when you're making something for a modern a modern audience when i first watched next generation as a kid I thought this is the future. Mm. 
But if you were to put a kid, maybe six years old today, yeah. down to watch The Next Generation, he would think, eh, maybe not, because we've got paths, we've got this, we've got that. So I think Sorry, Discovery is But they don't to... have a machine that says Earl Grey hot. No, true, true. Also, at least in the same way, I'm also glad Discovery has kept paths because, in a way, even though Star Trek's in the future, Mm -hmm. it's also, in a weird way, a period piece. Mm. It is. So, um, Star Trek has a um, has a unique look. I mean, original series has its look. Mm -hmm. Next generation has its look. The tech, the paths are also part of the iconography of Star Trek. So you don't want to take away that stuff because no, it's also the iconography you of But Trek. you want that six-year-old to look at it and go, yeah. this is the future. And, and it's very hard to fit that into the, I, a show that's meant to be set in Star Trek's past. Yeah. Or, what I like what they're doing. It's not like what bringing it back to Star Wars. Again, what Lucas did with Revenge of the Sith. Like in the all film, it looks all futuristic, glossy. It looks... Far too shiny and new, mm-hmm. and then in the film's closing moments, suddenly made it all look a bit like the spacecrafts looked a bit like what was in A New Hope, in mm-hmm. that kind of sense. I, as I said, I I like it, but from listening to you both, it seems that your kind of your thoughts discovery is there as a gateway drug to bring in new new fans in who might then go back. And I also this, enjoy it, but you know it. But it, it seems to be something that's there specifically. It's a, diff- it's a different type of show, but it's good. It's for new a new fan base and a new opportunity for them to their gateway drug into the expanded universe. Mm-hmm. But if you compare that then to Picard, Picard seems much more for the likes of yourselves who have had that emotional investment mm-hmm. with the next gen, particularly, I suppose, mm-hmm. from younger age, then now, come back. What what I would say is, you know, the one thing Patrick Stewart has said in every interview, every appearance, is if you're expecting us to be the next generation, mm-hmm. you will be disappointed. He says it's gonna be it, it's gonna isn't this gonna be adult oriented? It's not gonna be Yes, that's mm-hmm. that's not that's another issue I, I do have of modern Trek. Star Trek to me has always been like a family thing. Mm-hmm. But they're now making a fifteen with it and I feel like You're not gonna like where my next question goes then, Neil, but I'll yeah. I feel feel like, I apologize for interjecting far away. But Bob says I do feel like um Sorry, it's maybe a family. Now, I know it's, oh, sorry, it's actual 12 rated and 15 rated stuff. The odd episode is 15 on DS9. But essentially, we were kids and we got in Star Trek, and essentially, um, Star Trek is. So I, I do feel like they're taking away the family aspect of Star didn't, Trek. Didn't you watch Robocop as a kid? Yeah, but, that, but what I'm saying is, but there's a difference. You get between, what I'm There's about. a difference between being allowed to watch it and, you know, being. Um, I'm, I know being made for families. I know what you mean. It's in the sense that it's something that you can watch as a family. If you're watching Robocop when you're like 10 or 11, you're watching it behind, well, in I'm, some cases, behind your parents' back. You find the VCR, you've snuck it upstairs, and you're going to watch it. A bit like me one day when I watch Basic Instinct. Let's not go there. But this is something, as you kind of said, you can watch collectively. Mm-hmm. My mum doesn't like Star Trek. She can't get into it. My father will happily have it on. He's not invested in it, but it was something we sat. It was on when we were eating dinner. Because you would have, I think before The Simpsons, you know, before The Simpsons, before it came to Channel 4, we didn't have Sky, we were poor. We had BBC Two, we had Star Trek Next Generation. And then I remember, you know, when there was the big launch for Star Trek Voyager, because it was on in the, it was on later mm-hmm. on Star, BBC Two. Star Trek Night, I think they did it on Star Trek Night yeah. um, for the 30th anniversary. And I remember my dad and I watching that. So I, I completely agree with what you're saying, which brings me on then to my next question. And I know we'll have to wrap things up, but 
we have the possibility here. There's been news this week that Star Trek Four within the Kelvin universe is now going to be going ahead. There's no word on whether Chris Pine, who kind of at one point walked away from the project over you know his 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 wages, his fee. Uh, I'm not sure if Chris Hemsworth, which I always thought was a bit of a flaw to bring him back anyway, but you know there's the opportunity there. We have Star Trek Four. But we've also, gentlemen, got the prospect. Something I don't think will ever come. I think this will become one of those ideas of, oh, wouldn't it have been great if this had happened? But we have the possibility of a Quentin Tarantino Star Trek film. So just kind of, I know we're we're bringing this pod to a close, but your thoughts on cinematically, we've talked there about the TV, future of the franchise, cinematically, your thoughts on the future of the Star Trek franchise? Well, I'm, I'm taking the news of Star Trek 14. I, sorry, I can't call it 4 because I think I'll start it for the voice home. Um, I do I do take that new, um, story with a bit of a pitch of salt because there's been so many false starts with mm-hmm. um, this one here. So I'm I'll, I'm taking the attitude of I'll believe it when I see it. Because uh, there's been so many false starts, especially with the um, with you know with the film prior. Um, mm-hmm. To at one point, I think Joe Cornish was attached. Yeah, to Joe Cornish. Was, so I so you know once it's once once they go into production or casting has been confirmed mm. then i'll take it in there but i i just have so many false starts to this kelvin movie that to me i feel like the kelvin universe has and because beyond didn't do as well in the box i've kind of made my peace that the kelvin movies have kind of and the fact that bad robot has gone to warner Bros. because mm-hmm. jd was just doing superman on all these films now i i've kind of felt the kelvin timeline films have run the course um so i do t- i am kind of taking the news with a pinch of salt so if you're saying that then say if you're kind of working or you're pitching for another star trek movie what way would you rather they took would you go kind of the prospect of a quentin tarantino an adult orientated star trek with quentin tarantino's zippy dialogue sweary heavy dialogue would you have a recasting of those iconic roles but just treating it as its new cast members but it's set within the original or would you treat it the way that i think they should do with star wars which was disney or which disney are hinting at that star trek it's it's space the final frontier we can move beyond the enterprise we can move beyond those established characters would you would you rather they pitch something like that in the line of in the in the vein of discovery that is in that universe off kirk off Spock. I would like to expand the universe, you know, you know the prime universe. I mean, oh yeah, I do like Tarantino's films, and I know he is a Star Trek fan because he mm. did a Star Trek quote in, in Kill Bill, so I know he's a fan. I just don't know if his style is right for Star Trek. I mean, I'm a, I'm a Tim Burton fan, but I still wouldn't want Tim Burton to direct a Star Trek film at the same time. So certain directors I who admire, I don't know if their style works with you know mm. the franchise. I mean, you know, it's like I don't know if I can, you know, it's like Tarantino directing James Bond film. I don't know, you know. But um, I kind of would be open. I mean, obviously, my my feelings on the Kelvin movies have kind of changed a wee bit there with Beyond. Now, Beyond's been a bit more mixed, but the reason I like Beyond, I, the best out of the three is either of those three movies. It's the one to me that feels the closest in spirit to Star Trek. Mm. So if they kind of continue in the vein of Beyond, I would be up for another Kelvin movie. But, but we need to move away from the In the Darkness because... The problem with the Darkness is it tries too hard to be the Wrath of Khan, and the Wrath of Khan is a great movie. It's one of my favorite story films, but to me, Star Trek Two: The Wrath of Khan is not the end all and be all Star Trek. Mm-hmm. So I think we need to open up. We all know it's five. Five is the best one. Yeah, <laughs> we all know that. They've got good moments. Um, but you know, I think we need to expand. I mean, DS Nine Voyager. 
and you know and to an extent discovery as well have proved that you can have a successful site show that doesn't have the enterprise mm-hmm. well actually discovery didn't realize you did have to have the enterprise because they brought the enterprise in on Not for season three it won't yeah but you know do you know what i mean worse <laughs> you know i think that kind of you know you're kind of relying on mm-hmm. on past you know and i think maybe you need to move away from the links to the past to kind of create a new vision mm-hmm. which is why i'm hoping that you know i mean that's what gene warmby said in the early days of the next region he didn't want any references to the series because he wanted the next region to stand on his own yeah you know so i think we need to you know bring it out beyond because yeah. i have to, i am a fan of the jj reboot the 2009 reboot yeah, um, my flaw is with the star trek with the star trek reboot what they did so well was they give themselves a, a wonderful blank canvas to kind of go and tell new stories within that series, within that universe. But then after the success of it, they literally go back and retread over, you know, everyone's favorite Star Trek movie, which was a flaw. I think I have no problem with Benedict Cumberbatch as can. He's not a kind of a pinch on the original, but it just, it just felt like this cop out that they had done this reset and done these some interesting things, particularly with character of Spock and and with Vulcan, and they just never. It's almost like they said, well, they froze and said, well, what will we do? For, we don't have an idea for number for the next one. Let's just do Wrath of Khan again, but we'll kind of retool it and try to do that kind of switcheroo and stuff. And it just it didn't work. And the, the greatest thing, the greatest flaw was this: oh, Benedict Cumberbatch. He's not Khan. Like, well, of course he's going to be Khan because mm-hmm. Benedict Cumberbatch is only there because Benicio del Toro turned down the role. And when you know it's del Toro's playing that role, you can't think of anyone else yeah, other than other than too. Khan. And you just sit there and say, "Look, if you're going to do that, don't try and pull the uh, you know the hood over people's faces." Yeah. It's like in the last Bond, he's not Blofeld. He is. It's called Spectre. You've just got the rights back. Of course, Christopher Waltz is yeah. going to be yeah. Blofeld. Just be honest and upfront with people. Um. I, I agree. I absolutely love Beyond. Beyond, particularly the bit with the Beastie Boys. You know, it's just something. I know it's very on Star Trekky in terms of its execution, but there's just something about seeing that scene on screen. I went to see that, I think, three, possibly four times. Is that mm-hmm. it? Would you support the franchise a bit more? You know, I try my best. <laughs> I try my best, then, but I happily went to see that. And anytime I see that sequence, it just gives me a big childish smile on my face. So I'm hopeful that we're going to see four. I, as I Fourteen. said, just because he- four. It's four of the Kelvin universe. You no, know? yeah. But I, I don't know. I think the Tarantino idea will be one of those projects. It's an interesting. It's an interesting. It's a good PR point, talking point. I don't but think it's going to happen. I think he will get to the point where I think a screenplay will be written. It'll come to Paramount and they'll say, you know what? It's not quite the the direction we want to go in. He might retool it, and it might be a sci-fi film. <laughs> with a bit like kind of Galaxy Quest, kind of those ideas, but I don't think it'll ever happen. I think it'll be, the screenplay will be written and it'll be for years, fanboys will go, oh, wouldn't, have been, wouldn't this have been amazing if this had been produced? But I know, Ian, I know we're running out of time, but just kind of your, your thoughts on Tarantino and the Kelvin universe and Star um, Trek if I had 14. A, you know, if I had a choice, I'd rather see another Kelvin mm-hmm. universe movie to a Tarantino movie. Mm-hmm. Um Because I think they were really starting to find their feet with Beyond. Mm-hmm. I think it really went in the right direction. It's just a pity it didn't do yeah. particularly well. Uh, but I sort of agree with Neil. You know, they might have signed a director and writer, mm-hmm. but we know how these things work by committee now. Mm-hmm. They it's need really a story make, and script. Yeah. Once that gets okayed, yeah. 
then, you know, I mean, people are saying, but maybe Chris Pine won't come back. I, I think he will. I, yeah. I think, you know, I think he wants to be involved. Mm-hmm. But I think when he heard that maybe Chris Hemsworth was going to get paid more than mm-hmm. him, he went, well, hold on a minute. Mm-hmm. Which I think he's got a right to, I yeah. think. Um, I don't think you need Chris Hemsworth back. No. I think they were trying to cash in on his popularity, mm-hmm. maybe. Um, but, you know, I'm hopeful if they can get a script that obviously Paramount likes. Because that was the other thing would be on. I mean, there was free scripts. They were all rejected. And then Simon Pegg mm-hmm. stepped in and wrote Would you like fast. to see, would both of you like to see Pegg back yeah. writing? Oh, God, yes. Also, I think, um, um, come back to budgets, um, this, um, I think what, what the film would benefit from is a smaller budget. Mm-hmm. Starting to the Wrath Camp was a much smaller budget than the motion picture and it proved it to be a better film. So I think a smaller budget is also the way to go. It, 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 the budget's a tough one because studios and I sort of think think big or go home. Mm-hmm. If you're not going to spend a lot of money to make a lot of money, mm-hmm. then they sometimes think, what's the point? It. I think that's flawed, but... I just think, it seems to be the. I just think a smaller budget is the way to go. That, that's why the Star films were so profitable, because they were small, tight budget films mm-hmm. that made a huge profit. Now I'm going to ask is just a last question because I think we've talked there about the future. We've talked about the motion picture. We've talked a little bit about other films within the series. But you just mentioned there about getting involved. You are both members of USS Caroline. Just before we go, between yourselves, tell us a little bit about yourselves and how anyone who's listening who might not have heard of Caroline, who is a Star Trek fan, who might want to get involved with yourself. Okay, um, well, my name's Ian Lawler, mm. lifelong Star Trek fan. Uh, I started uh, the USS Caroline five years ago, just over five years ago with Neil. Mm. Um, basically, we're a chapter of Starfleet International, which is a worldwide organizational sort of Star Trek fan club. Mm-hmm. Uh, we currently have over, I think, 37 odd members that are members of the Caroline Dan Starfleet International. We just meet up, mm-hmm. you know, share a love of Trek, go to cinema, right? And, you know, just yeah. just meet up, run a few events, have a bit of fun. Um, you can find the USS Caroline on Facebook. Mm-hmm. Uh, we have a website, ussscaroline.com, which will give you a bit more background about us. Mm-hmm. And, uh, yeah, it, we're just a group of people that like to come together to share a love of Star Trek and all right. things geek, geeky and nerdy, really. And you were just saying you had a bit of news, exciting news for yourselves, which I'm not sure if you want to say. Yeah, no, um, we're part of a group called Region 20. It's basically Star Trek groups that are based in uh, the UK and Ireland. and Ireland. And every two years... They hold a summit. Think of it as a convention, maybe without guests. Yeah, like I like maybe like or maybe something long similar to TitanCon, which some listeners might be. We bet. Yeah, we bet, but no guests in yeah. terms of any type of celebrity. We just come to meet up with each other. Mm-hmm. So we have we've just found out the last couple of weeks that we we won the bid to host the twenty twenty one regional summit. So where um, there's details on our website of that now and costs and. You do have to be a member of Starfleet International and a signed up member of one of the chapters to attend. Mm-hmm. Um, but to become a, a signed up member, it's less than a five or a year. It's okay. not basically it's just money to keep the servers running yeah. and that sort of thing. It's it's nothing 
it's it's nothing big, you know. Two cups of coffee would be dear. Yeah, a couple of cups of coffee would be dear. So yeah, so we're we're really excited that we get to bring the chapters from the UK and Ireland into Belfast. Mm-hmm. Bit of sightseeing, you know, as well as just having a weekend of fun. Okay. Well, as I say, more information you can check out the Caroline's website. All that is really left for me to do now is thank you very much, Ian. No, thank you for having me. It's been great. Thank you very much, Neil. Thanks for having me. It's been of, a good time. Of course. Thank you very much, listeners, for listening. Thanks to the audience for hosting us here. We'll be back next week with another podcast. All that's left for me to say now, live long and prosper, and may the force be with you.